0: Uh, And I think it's important for, um, especially Westerners and fellow Americans, to open their eyes, uh, you know, and their minds, so to speak, and experience and see the world, empathize, sympathize um, with others. You know, I think if we did that, uh, perhaps would we be kinder, gentler, more humane, and live environmentally sound existence.
1: tuned in to how it looks from here, life in the time of climate change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. So we offer these interviews as a way of giving us all new ideas and inspiration for making our way forward together. I'm Mary Claire and today I'm speaking with Dr. Zahir Wahab, professor emeritus of education at Lewis and Clark College and former senior advisor to the Afghan Ministry of Higher Education. Dr. Wahab also taught at American University of Afghanistan from 2013 to 2020. Zahir was born and schooled in Afghanistan. He was the first person in his family's history to attend the village school, a boarding school in Kabul and received scholarships to attend college in Lebanon and the United States. He earned a B.A. in sociology from the American University of Beirut, an M.A. in comparative education from Teachers College, Columbia University, and both an M.A. in anthropology and a Ph.D. in international development education from Stanford University. Zahir is dedicated to praxis, the practical application of our best thinking to real-life challenges. He is an advocate for global understanding and respect evident in our honoring both interdependence and sovereignty. Take a listen. Good morning, Zahir. It's so lovely to have you speaking with me today.
0: Good morning to you and to Gary. uh, Mary, thank you very much. And it's uh, really good to see you after all these years.
1: Yes, we should let the listeners know early on that you and I, my goodness, if we did the math on that, we're coming up on 40 years, I think, since I met you. That's a long time.
0: Yes indeed, um, yes, uh, you have been doing quite a few things, and I have been all over the world
1: yes you the have
0: five years uh spending uh, most of my time in Afghanistan,
1: yes, I know, um, so, and so we were colleagues in the graduate school at Lewis and Clark College for many, many decades, and had the chance to do some work together um But I do, I always feel like I can learn more and you graciously ask me about my life too. And so here we are. This podcast is called How It Looks From Here. And the idea behind it is that for every person, the world looks different. And so I love to start this podcast with the question to my guest today, where you are, where you sit, how does the world look to you, Dr. Wahab?
0: Well, um, uh, by here, and I think it's important uh, to view the world and understand it from the bottom up, so to speak. Uh, as we both know, uh, you know, people view and judge the world from their location. Uh, and when I say here, uh, I sort of have two references uh, in mind. One is uh, Portland, Oregon, the United States, um, and the other, of course, is uh, Um, Afghanistan uh, is uh, the epitome of the so-called third uh, world and the developing world. So uh, I can speak about um, both locations, or we can dwell on one, uh, depending on how the conversation goes. Uh, But uh, looking at the world, both from uh, Portland, Oregon, and Kabul, Afghanistan, um, it looks... uh, Dismal to me, frankly, uh, disastrous um, and apocalyptic uh, in many ways. Uh, as everyone knows, we have had the most unusual uh, weather in Portland uh, the last two days uh, since 1943, uh, and people might know about the situation in Afghanistan. Whether it's um, uh, the environmental a disaster or climate uh, crises or ecological, really, brinkmanship. Afghanistan is really on the, the brink uh, in every way in terms of um, air, water, um, earth pollution, uh, in terms of um, deforestation, uh, you know, and... Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, poverty, misery and uh, degradation, uh, you know, in every way. So uh, I can speak from either a place and they both bother me a great deal. Um, I frankly, I don't quite like what I see around me and what I hear um, either in the United States and throughout the Western world or uh, in Afghanistan in the developing world.
1: Would you say that the primary problem or or a primary problem is that we are not listening to each other, that we are not respecting each other? And, And in your, I know that you've taught across the world in Sweden, Japan, Portugal, South Korea, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, India, China, and of course, Afghanistan, and that you also served as a Fulbright scholar in Egypt and Turkmenistan. Um, and twice in, in Kazakhstan, I believe. Yes. So yes. so all of those places are here. And I, I do, I think it will be helpful for us to focus on Afghanistan and Portland. But I do believe that your experience of the globe is quite uncommon. And so have you lost hope?
0: Uh, no. Uh, as Paulo Freire would say, uh, we have to be hopeful uh, but not terribly uh, optimistic uh, uh-huh. but also um, uh, you know we have to be hopeful as mark you know jesse jackson used to say all the time uh, keeping hope alive and then struggling and working uh, for our hopes ambitions and yearnings to to realize um, yes it's actually and thank you for um, making reference to what I have done and seen throughout the world. Um, You know, I was born and raised in a small subsistence uh, village uh, in Afghanistan and and then was taken to the capital when I was 11. Uh, And then I was uh, given scholarships when I was 17 and left the country. Uh, But ever since my childhood, I I have always been sort of curious about the world, to see as much of the world um as i could and can and i continue to be curious and very concerned about the world Uh, and i was always for some strange reason i was attracted both to the so-called developed world west and also the underdeveloped um third world and uh you know the southern southern, um, region uh and you know you. Countries are different, uh, but there are certain things in common, it seems to me. Uh, and one is, I think, uh, the lack of democracy. Um, I think uh, the places I have been were not democratic. They were autocratic, uh, dictatorial in some cases, and very, very repressive. And they continue to, to be so. Uh, I think our world, I would say, including the United States, which I call as a plutocracy and not a democracy uh, suffer from this one basic uh, element and that is uh, truly uh, inclusive participatory uh, political uh, regimes Uh, uh, many people seem to be shut off from the decision-making process from you know ownership of their country their land their culture their political systems uh, and Systems, you know, countries suffer from enormous inequities between the haves and the have-nots, exclusion, uh, manipulation, um, war and violence, uh, corruption, uh, you know, and I think we're all paying for it. Uh, And I would say that even today, when I look at the world, uh, ranging from here uh, all the way to the other end of the world uh, east west north south uh, it is very hard to think of a regime in any country that is uh, truly democratic uh, concerned caring and um, sensible uh, except a few here and there you know I'm very happy about Lula's uh, um, election as president of Brazil uh, and a few others in Latin America and uh, and maybe some in Eastern and Western Europe. Um, but in general, the situation doesn't look very good. And we're paying for it. Uh, among, among other things, I think uh, environment has been sort of uh, put on the back burner uh, in all of these places, whether it's the US or Afghanistan. Um, some of these countries can cushion themselves from the ravages and damages of. Um, the the climate um, crises the environment and ecological difficulties but um, you know most of the world um, is really being victimized and are paying a heavy price uh, in terms of quality of life and also in terms of the basic needs so uh, I don't like what I see
1: and so when you use the word plutocracy as you did earlier I think you elaborated it but for our listeners Would you give a definition of plutocracy and how you know it when you see it?
0: Well, uh, it's very clear that in this country, uh, you know, to restate the uh, cliché. In fact, it's the military, industrial, and I would say congressional and even media complex right now that run the country, whether it's deciding on who we should go to war to or whether or not uh, hungry children should be uh, served free or reduced price breakfast in schools or whatever. It's very clear that the rich and the powerful, the 1%, so to speak, in this country, rule and manage um, uh, not only its policies internal and uh, external, but also, in fact, own most of what is to, to own. Uh, you know, common people in this country are uh, excluded from decision-making. Uh, you know, it's, uh, even Congress itself is being held hostage to the different lobbies, external and internal lobbies. And, uh, you know, the executive really is sort of the executive arm of the ruling elite, of the, 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 the wealthy. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, judiciary uh, is, again, Subservient to the other interests and in, in So That's why I say, you know, we have a plutocracy or a government of the rich, um, um, for the rich, by the rich, and not a government of, by, for the people. Although, of course, you know, there's a facade uh, of, of democracy, as one of our colleagues used to say, it's sort of um, sweet fascism. And I honestly believe that this is what we live under. In other countries, of course, people don't even try to maintain a facade of self-governance or democracy. It's very obvious, you know, the, the plutocracy, uh, the autocracy, the dictatorship are very, very clear, and they make no mis- bone about it. They make, uh, they do not apologize for it.
1: Well, I want to come back to the the connections between these these political circumstances globally, that you're referring to, and and the climate change and climate repair, but, but I want to switch a minute first, because I want, I'm very curious how you'll respond to this question. What would you, Zahir, identify as the way the land and actual ecosystems of your childhood and adolescence have influenced your sense of who you are? How does the land figure in how you make sense? And I know you've been in Portland also for a very long time, but when you have these two very different ecosystems, how do they help you know who you are?
0: Well, um, you know, I mean, we are a product of our experiences, so to speak, of our socialization, especially the, I think, early uh, experiences are more significant, it seems, than the the later experiences. Um, I think, again, it has been my reading, writing, uh, conversation with peers from even when I was little to actual living uh, both in the village and now in a comfortable uh, Portland. I mean we have problems here in every way but it's still very very comfortable here uh, you know uh, imagine if you and I were in Turkey or Syria uh, or in Kabul uh, where uh, crises upon crisis, pile up on top of each other. So uh, in Afghanistan right now, uh, people are suffering from extreme cold. Um, you know, um, um, the the weathers have changed and sort of uh, intensified. So summer is hotter and the winters are very, very cold. Um, you know, there's massive uh, poverty and uh, pollution. Um, air, water, and land are polluted. Um, biodiversity is disappearing. Uh, there are fires, you know, forest fires, and there are, um, you know, all kinds of problems. Uh, and I, even though I'm here, when I'm sitting here, I'm in daily touch with people in Afghanistan at all levels by telephone, you know, by email and so forth. Uh, so one is reminded, I mean, uh, I can remember very well my subsistence living in the village uh, where there's still no electricity or running water and where the majority of the people really um, are hungry and cold, uh, you know, and threatened by all kinds of things. So, uh, and then, you know, I look at life around me here uh, where people seem to be very preoccupied with themselves, their routines, their lives and even their pets, uh, you know, uh, not that we shouldn't pay, take care of our pets. So I'm sort of like a, a, a hodgepodge of uh, experiences, really, and a product of cross-pollination. Uh, and I think it's important for um, especially Westerners and fellow Americans to open their eyes, uh, you know, and their minds, so to speak, and experience and See the world, empathize, sympathize um, with others. You know, I think if we did that, uh, perhaps would we be kinder, gentler, more humane, and a, live environmentally sound existence.
1: This is Mary Claire, and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. Yes, the the land that you lived on in um, Kabul, outside of Kabul, or was it in Kabul proper?
0: Yes, yes.
1: That that land, as you you left when you were eleven to go to school, and then you came back off and on over the course of of your life, and you saw changes. You referred to the pollution um, and the fires. Are these the changes that you've seen that you attribute? Do you attribute them both to poverty and to climate change? What What is it that you and other scholars in Afghanistan see?
0: Well, uh, Mary, I think uh, poverty and other social problems, uh, you know, poverty, degradation, violence, war, conflict, uh, corruption, uh, mismanagement, uh, you know, I think these are uh, themselves products than causes. Um, uh, and I should say that, uh, you know, from 2022 20, uh, 20, to 2019, the end of 2019, I spent most of my time in Afghanistan where I traveled all over the country by land. And so I have a pretty good idea uh, the, the, uh, the damage done by other causes. By, and I see uh, in the case of Afghanistan, but also in other places from Nicaragua to Turkmenistan, you know, from India to, um, to Cuba, um, that, uh, you know, there are two main causes to me. One is, I think, war itself. We forget, you know, uh, we look at the war in the proxy war in Ukraine and feel bad, uh, you know, for the children, for the civilian population being killed, maimed and so forth. But we forget that this was a a war of choice, so to speak. So I think war in other crimes, either direct or proxy and indirect war, is one main reason, uh, because war does uh, a lot of damage. Uh, And two is, I would say, um, uh, Western cultural imperialism, not just political, economic, but cultural imperialism. And so if you uh, allow me, uh, I want to mention just briefly Uh, the culture, influences of the West in Afghanistan, all the way um, from the capital to the the village. Uh, There's incredible pollution right now in Afghanistan, air, water, and earth, uh, deforestation, uh, displacement, um, uh, the abandonment of subsistence living, um, massive uh, poverty, unemployment, and degradation. um, desertification, um, disappearing wildlife, um, illegal and um, unprofessional mining by criminal elements, uh, increased crime, and massive dependency of the people. Uh, And these are, I would say, direct causes of the 42 years of war, nonstop Um, assault, occupation, and invasions by first for 10 years by the Soviet Union, and then the last 20 years, 2002 to 2021, by the United States and its allies. Um, You can see these when you travel in Afghanistan, you see all these problems directly. And the second cause, I think, is Uh, What I call cultural imperialism. Uh, The West exporting its lifestyle, quote unquote, cars, fossil fuel, vehicles, um, overconsumption, waste, uh, mismanagement, uh, urbanization, uh, corruption, uh, conflict, crime and criminology, uh, and from self sufficiency to dependency. And so if you go to Afghanistan, You know, you also have a 1% there. People who actually get on the plane in Kabul, go to Dubai or Qatar or um, Beirut for shopping, uh, to do shopping, sometimes even grocery shopping. But as we know, 98% of the people in Afghanistan this very moment are hungry, cold, suffering, and on the brink of starvation. So I consider war itself, In all forms, and also Western um, cultural imperialism is the two main reasons for the environmental climate and ecological um, disasters degradation. And we can see that in Afghanistan, um, again, the temperature has been rising and going low. We know this for a fact, for example, birth deformities because of the war. When you have 42 years of war, you know, you do pollute heavily and poison air, water, and the earth. And you can see the effect, for example. So I would say these two are the main culprits uh, for the environmental, ecological, and uh, climate Uh, degradation and uh, disasters. And this is going to get worse unless we arrest these two phenomena in some way.
1: And in some ways, it's that, you know, the question that comes to me, can it even get worse? Afghanistan is bearing such a brunt of these two impact of the impacts of these two variables and your experience direct experience after you left Lewis and Clark's graduate school and were there from 2012 to 2020 that's when you saw up close every day all the time and you knew this was going on anyway because I remember hearing you speak about about all of these things the other thing I know about you Zahir Wahab is Dr. Wahab is that okay. you, you are? Oh, of course, I know you and both of you know as a friend and as a colleague, Dr. Lahab. Um, that that you have always been essentially interested in what happens next to stop this train. And so, over the years, I know you've been. You you mentioned the Brazilian educator Paulo Freire just earlier and Freire developed an approach to education that links the identification of issues to positive action mm-hmm, for change mm-hmm. and development and he mm-hmm. kind of he held that people can be passive recipients of knowledge whatever the content mm-hmm. or they can engage in problem posing and yeah. approach what it is that they and, and and be active participants so when you take me and the rest of the listeners as learners, what is your advice to us as we all move forward in support of global solutions to climate change and war and dominance?
0: Great. Well, I was very lucky, Mary, to um, have, um, uh, you know, the kind of parents I had, although they were peasants subsisting. My mother was uh, illiterate. My father was highly self-educated and then peers and Uh, you know, my sort of um, uh, cross-cultural, cross-national experiences. And, you know, I was very lucky to receive a scholarship to first uh, middle and high school in Kabul, and then scholarships to uh, Beirut, uh, New York, and California, and, you know, go to some of the best uh, schools. And I have to say that my understanding is that education is being degraded in this country and throughout the world um, at all levels, which is very, very sad and tragic, and I think dangerous, and we will pay for it. Uh, So I was very lucky to have the kind of formal and informal experiences. And then my travels, uh, leading the about eight Lewis and Clark College groups overseas and living in these countries from India to Nicaragua for five months. And then as you pointed out, uh, my Fulbrights. So I'm really sort of a product of an accumulation of my cross-cultural experiences, and not wherever I go, I try to, um, you know, mix with the people, so to speak, at the grassroots level to see what, how people live, what they think, what their views are, and what their hopes and aspirations are, and what bothers them. So um, I have reached the conclusion that one, that a lot of these comments that Um, We face today uh, plague most of the world, most of the people on earth, whether it's poverty, insecurity, uh, oppression, uh, you know, uh, and hardship, uh, hunger. uh, These are common problems. So, you know, terrible environment, uh, uh, you know, low grade or high grade, low intensity or high intensity war or conflict of some kind. Uh, most of us are facing. I mean, I have to say that I have to be careful when I go downtown Portland uh, these days. Mm. In my first years, we never thought about being in Portland uh, at any time uh, of the day and night, and never worry about our safety and security. But Portland has changed. Uh, you're away from it, so so some of these problems are very common. Uh, but also, I would say uh, people yearn for. Uh, You know, equity, uh, peace, uh, safety, security, decency, cooperation, uh, you know, and sort of sustainable uh, development. Uh, And so I think common problems require common solutions. And I also know that no country in the world, including the United States, with all of its wealth, power, technology, and know-how, Um, the United States are not able to solve its problems. We can't solve the simple problem of homelessness or hunger, let alone wars, uh, you know, and inequities and corruption in high places, you know, a runaway government, I would say, and a degraded and degrading and insulting culture. I mean, I have to say that uh, I see things daily here they insult my intelligence and integrity and I'm sure yours and our viewers. So we need common approach to common problems, including the, the environment. As you know, you know, uh, you know we have a, a real derailment in Ohio and it affects us in this part of the country, or uh, if we have some kind of a, a problem in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan, it affects uh, its neighbors. There are solutions, of course. I mean, we should, we're not hopeless. Uh, Humans, I think, are intelligent and decent enough. So, I would, uh, with your permission, I think, in terms of solutions, whether the United States or Afghanistan or places like that, um, uh, we need to uh, uh, restore uh, peace, stability, and security for all. uh, And we need to practice and embark on sustainable. Uh, development. Uh, We need to work on massive um, awareness, creating awareness and amongst Afghans and Americans. Uh, In the case of Afghanistan, they need water management, uh, soil conservation, um, and they need uh, to utilize um, clean and renewable uh, energy, uh, you know, you hardly see bicycles in Afghanistan in the cities. It's all vehicles and terrible fossil fuel. So we need you know, clean um, wind, sun, uh, and water energy. Um, we need uh, water diplomacy. Afghanistan needs to use its own waters because the water flows. Imagine a country with a lot of rivers. They, they flow out to its neighbors. Afghanistan imports. of its electricity right now as we speak. Uh, We need to push um, biodiversity in Afghanistan, uh, land reform so that there's no monopoly of uh, agricultural uh, land. Um, We need, the West needs to repair Afghanistan and countries like that uh, for their exploitation of the resources past and present. Uh, Remember the head of the soccer matches in Doha, if you remember that Mary, who said on television that the West needs to spend 5000 years apologizing to the rest of the world for what it did to the rest of the world in the past 5000 years, and remember Pope Pope Paul um, and the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, chastising the West, especially Belgium and other European countries for what they have done to Africa. Uh, and I remember Martin Griffith actually uh, telling uh, you know, PBS uh, just a few weeks ago regarding Afghanistan, the misery and the you know, almost uh, starvation in Afghanistan. He said, this is a direct effect of the environmental degradation, which is in effect Uh, after the war, he said. Uh, So these things are related. And so we need to restore peace, you know, and um, the West must um, pay reparation uh, to places like Afghanistan and other countries for the damage they have done to their environment, cultures, societies, and lives. And the West should engage in massive assistance in terms of money, material, technical know-how, and expertise. And we need to end this arrangement of the world into Northern hemisphere in the South where the North grows, develops, enjoys the good life and you know, pillaging and plundering the South. This arrangement needs to terminate and stop. And we need to embark on a new, more equitable, fair and sensible relationship between you know, the raw material producing countries and the so-called developing and uh, growing countries. So I'm sorry, to, uh, you know, to burden you with this, but these are the kind of things we need to do, and do it quickly and urgently and massively, if we're to arrest uh, the ecological crisis, or we're doomed and we're going to perish together.
1: Well, so there you are. We're going to perish together. Whatever the, whatever happens, we're on the same bus. And we're all in it. And that's the question that I want to end with. And that is, what are your reflections on the extent to which the whole human species, but in particular, those who have benefited from imperialism, must recover the fact of our relationship with each other? And I I know you see things on a global level, Zahir. I know that. And I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, from my background that I pay a lot of attention to the local, you know, how it is that we interact between us as individuals. And you as an educator look at that as well. But it seems to me that the big mistake is this belief that we are somehow ever, ever, ever as human beings separate from each other or separate from the natural world. So what would you say to that?
0: Yes, unfortunately, Mary, I agree. I would say, and this is not um, accidental. This uh, atomation, uh, fragmentation, isolation, and separation, these are not uh, <laughs> uh, n- by natural. Uh, and they don't just happen. I would say they're in part actually engineered, uh, they're arranged. It's the idea of divide and rule, you know. Uh, Uh, It's easier for the ruling elites, for the predatory classes, I should say, uh, whoever, whatever they are, uh, to divide and conquer. Um, But I have to say, and you and I both know from our experiences in the classroom, in our work and efforts, uh, and from outside of class, that there are a lot of good, decent human beings in this country, in our towns, and throughout the world. Uh, We need to strengthen those forces, but we do need leadership. We do need good leadership. And as I said, that's uh, difficult uh, uh, under these conditions. So, I mean, several things I think need to be done um, simultaneously. Democratization, um, uh, equity, uh, distribution of power, uh, participatory decision-making, new leaders coming up you know i mean uh, we need to end these gerontocracies um whatever they might be and these class dominations and let new people men and women of which there are a lot in portland and also in montana and in afghanistan let them come forward men and women encourage them empower them enlighten them uh, talk to them uh, and we must continue those of us who understand uh, both the problem and some of the solutions must continue to speak, uh, to write, um, you know to advocate uh, rather vociferously uh, you know that really humanity and indeed nature are on the brink and we must do something to save ourselves and each other. Now, I am hopeful indeed you know I'm not depressed, uh, you know I don't have any of these problems that I hear about. Luckily, uh, but I'm not very optimistic. Uh, you know, uh, I am hopeful though, because human beings are capable. Um, they're intelligent, decent, uh, caring. You and I both know people who are trying very, very hard, uh, even under these difficult, oppressive, difficult, manipulative conditions, who are trying to make the world uh, sane, uh, fair, just, democratic, and livable. And let's add to those forces, and I think uh, you, may not, you and I may not see uh, a utopia or an ideal world, but you know we have a future. There are future generations and their uh, offspring. And we have a, a moral, ethical, political, and personal responsibility to do our very best. And you are, thank you, Mary, for you, to you, and for to your organization. You know, you and I could be just enjoying, uh, you know, retirement, quote unquote, uh, playing golf or um, traveling and staying at exotic places, you know, at five-star hotels. But uh, neither you nor I have chosen that lifestyle, and it's a tribute. And you and I uh, are and can be multiplied uh, by the millions. So thank you.
1: Well, and my thanks to you, Dr. Zahir Wahab. It is so lovely to spend this time with you again. Thank Thank you. you, thank you, thank you. You can learn more about Dr. Zahir Wahab's work and vision by searching through his abundant citations on the internet. We're including sample links in the show notes, along with a link to learn more about the Brazilian educational philosopher, Paulo Freire, who has been such an influence and inspiration to Zahir. You can also connect with Zahir's most recent thoughts by watching the YouTube of his 2022 talk with the Schiller Institute, entitled, Dialogue, Not a Clash of Civilizations. During our conversation, I referred to ideas from the book, Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World, authored by me and Gary Ferguson, and available in bookstores everywhere. And now, before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on How It Looks From Here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was produced by me, Mary Claire, editing by Gary Ferguson, music by Gary Ferguson, and other artists noted in the show notes. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at www.fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch.